Hey guys, welcome to my podcast. I pray you are empowered to walk in the fullness of your God design. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And remember, enforcing purpose, it starts with you. House meetings are where we cultivate an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to move. This includes any kind of message that might come forth spontaneously. In this episode, you will hear some of these moments captured raw and put together for you to receive and enjoy. And so it should be with the lover of your soul. Everything you do should be motivated by love, first and foremost. This requires falling in love with his love for you. This requires falling in love with his love for you. It's such a simple message. Like, I sat over here for a while wrestling with the Lord, like, can you give me, like, something more profound than that to share? (laughs) Like, can we talk about, you know, the Greek or the Hebrew of something or whatever? And the Lord was like, no, this is profound. And here's why. Because my love is supernatural, and you can't comprehend it with the brain. Like, we can fly people to the moon and back, but you can't comprehend something that's supernatural with your intellect because it's profound. It's indescribable. It can't be contained. It can't be written on paper. The love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. That song goes on to talk about how if we were to write the love of God up in the sky, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. If every stalk were a quill and every writer began to write, there is not enough ink in the world that could write the love of God. Do you know where those lyrics were found? Etched on the wall of an insane asylum. And I would like to share with you that I think this man was probably more in his right mind than the rest of us. Because though he was out of his mind in the natural, there was still something in here that him that had an understanding of something outside of the natural. Wrote these words to this hymn that's a classic hymn talking about the infinite, indescribable, unfailing, overwhelming plethora of a love that we so desperately need but cannot seem to come to understand because we're too busy trying to muster it up out of our own soul. And so until we learn to step back, minister at the foot of the Lord, and understand his love for us, remember even Jesus said, just as you loved me, God, Father, just as you loved me, so I have loved them. Because if it weren't for your love for me first, even I, Jesus, would not have the love that I need to love these people. Exemplifying for us the importance of having an understanding of the love that God has poured out upon us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. Preserved meaning something that we, we do ahead of time to preserve. Meaning until at, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I love this passage 
um, because it's talking about how we, we serve a God of peace. And in, in that in the Greek there, that word peace encompasses the idea of prosperity. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that the world has put this, this concept of prosperity uh, into us and thinking that prosperity is all about money. But I want you to think with me, like prosperity is really about productivity. It's about being fruitful. It's about multiplying. It's about a productive life. You know, the, the enemy <laughs> loves to make us feel very defeated and very fruitless and very unproductive in our work. And I'm thinking about all the different places in the scripture. We're literally in the Old Testament and in Haggai and some of those other books I can't think of right now. Um, But in in these books where literally the enemy comes and is stealing all the productivity, all the work, all the fruit of their work. I'm thinking about even, um, you know, where they're... When Gideon is like, they're saying, "Where well, I'm in a, I'm in a cave, and I'm hiding in a cave, and I'm, 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 I'm pressing my wheat in a wine press, right?" And so, um, in, in the scriptures, the wheat was a sign of fruitfulness. They would grow wheat, and in order to blow the chaff away, there was a celebratory process that they engaged in, where they would stand high up on a mountaintop, and it was almost like the celebratory dance that they would kind of take this wheat. And they would swing it around. This is going to be a good message. They would swing it around. Praise you, Jesus. They would swing it around like this, right? And the wind and the celebration would blow that chaff away. So when we read in the book of Judges, um, where Gideon is like in a cave, and, and the angel of the Lord finds him there, and he's hiding in this cave, and he's pressing his wheat through a wine press, it doesn't make any sense. See, if he's got his wheat, why is he in a cave, and why is he hiding in it? Because the Bible says that he's in the promised land. He is, he is, the, the Israelites have made it. They've, they've arrived, right? Like they've come into the promised land. Yet the Bible says the Midianites, which in the Hebrew actually means strife, it's literally stealing all of their productivity from them. And because of that, they're left in this place of hiding, trying to hide, and not able to celebrate the goodness of God. And see, that's not what God has in mind for us. God has called us to be a fruitful people. We know this. Why? Because in Genesis, in the very beginning, God lays his hands on his people. He blesses them. And he says, be fruitful. Multiply. The very first thing that God says to Noah when he gets off the ark is the exact same blessing that he speaks from from the beginning. See, because God hasn't changed his mind. God, from the very beginning, has created people to be a productive people for his kingdom. That we've come into a kingdom that is of the increase. That's why we see that the kingdom of God is on the move. It's on the increase. All the parables that Jesus talked about saying the kingdom of heaven is like this teeny tiny little mustard seed. But it grows in order that it would encompass all the birds of the air. And they take up nests in it and they can rest in it. And it encompasses all these things because the kingdom of God is created to increase. It's created to be productive. It's created to prosper. And that's the concept that we're talking about here in this passage of prosperity. And so Paul is interceding for the Thessalonians and he's saying, Now may the God of prosperity himself, the very heart and the character and the nature of who he is, sanctify you, meaning rescue, cleanse, heal you completely. And then he lists the three parts of man, saying body, soul and spirit, thus reminding us that we're created in three parts like our very creator who created us in his image. So tonight I really feel like the Lord has laid this on my heart because, you know, I know we talked about healing and deliverance and all these things. And today we talked about, this morning we talked about walking in healthy relationships. I mean, there are so many levels of health. 
and what it looks like to walk in a healthy relationship between God and I, what it looks like to be okay with myself, right? Because a lot of times we skip that step. We, we walk in God reconciliation and we walk in reconciliation with my brother and sister in Christ, but we're not reconciled. We don't have things reconciled within ourselves. And so we talked about what it looks like to walk in healthy relationship. And it was broken down into the, the, the greatest commandment that says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, I want to propose to you that not only do these unhealthy relationships have effect on the way that we live our lives, but they have effect on our health as well. See, God says that anything that would cause a separation or unreconciliation between me and God, between me and myself, or between me and my friend or my neighbor, allows for this gap to remain where the enemy has room to play. Okay, so I'm trying to really fast kind of give you a little bit of a teaching here about the concept of healing and how there is a connection between what is happening in my relationships, between what is happening in my heart, between what is happening in my mind, and what ends up happening in my physical body. Okay, so, so let me give you some examples. If I am not reconciled with God and all that he says that he is, all that he tells me in his word, all that he uh, tells me about his love, and I say that I believe that, but I'm not in agreement with that, and I'm having a hard time walking in the fullness of his love, or I'm having a hard time walking in the fullness of his faith, and I'm talking to all of us in here, okay? So if you ever experience any fear or any anxiety, you're having a hard time walking in the fullness of the faith and faith in God. It's just part of the flesh that we live in that we're going to have this battle. But if I'm not walking in the fullness of those things, then what happens is this reconciliation that looks like this, completely lined up, begins to have a separation. And we call that a gap in the wall. Do you remember when they were talking when Nehemiah was building the wall and they were like, listen, we have to build section by section like this. Like We can't do all one section. When one section was going too fast, they would all go and help section in order that all the gaps would be filled in so the enemy had no way to get in. That were, they were fortifying the temple. They were fortifying their city so that the enemy could not get in. And we're the temple of the living God. And God has called us to live in fortified, which means I, there are no gaps in my thinking, okay, in who I, who I believe God to be. So we're talking about reconciliation with God. If I'm not walking in reconciliation with God, if I have anxiety or I have fear and I begin to allow those things to control my thoughts and I have that gap in the wall, now the enemy has play in my life to begin to plague me with anxiety, to begin to plague me with fear, and those things will begin to manifest in your flesh. They will begin to manifest in your flesh in like heart disease because your body is always going to mimic what's going on. It will manifest, of course, in, in, in uh, manic depressive behaviors, it'll, it'll, in panic, anxiety, it'll manifest in heart attacks, in heart issues, all of those things. And so you will begin, your body will begin to manifest what's happening in the soul, okay? All right, let's fast forward to you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now I'm going to go to self first because you only love your neighbor to the same degree as you love yourself. Okay, so that's what we've learned this morning. Uh, so if I am not if I'm not reconciled with myself and I'm not in agreement with who God says I am, He says that I'm beautiful, that I'm successful, and that I'm created to prosper, and I'm created to multiply, and I'm productive, and I'm a conqueror, and I am not defeated. But yet I'm struggling to believe that. Like I know that's 
what God says about me, but I'm not sure I can speak the same message over me. While I'm looking in the mirror, I can say, yes, God, I know that you call me a victor and you call me beautiful. But to be able to just look myself in the mirror and say, and I agree, I am a victor and I am beautiful is a whole nother level. When I'm not walking in the fullness of who God says that I am, there begins to be this gap. And again, there's playroom in here. There's a separation from who God says I am. So I become separated from self. And those kinds of things begin to manifest in the soul in ways like constant self-abasing thinking, self-condemnation, guilt, shame. I'm not in agreement with God's forgiveness for me. I'm not walking in the fullness of God's grace and his mercy. And now I have this gap. And a lot of times these things will begin to manifest in things like cutting and autoimmune disorders because the body's attacking itself because it's following your mind and your thought process. It'll begin to manifest in eating disorders, all kinds of things like that. So I'm giving you guys all the tricks, okay? So I'm telling you how, like, if somebody comes in and says, I struggle with cutting, I know immediately they're not walking in the fullness of who God says they are because we wouldn't cut God's creation. Okay, so that's not said to condemn, but that's that's said that is said so to encourage us so that we can know what's going on in the soul realm that would cause this manifestation. All right, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. When we're not walking in reconciliation with our neighbors, when we're not forgiving them, we're not looking at them like God tells us to look at them, we're not extending grace to them, we're irritated with them, we're short-fused with them, we get angry with them, we hold bitterness against them, and and we begin to uh, be critical, and we're judgmental, and we struggle with a religious spirit, and all of these things, and it begins to manifest in forms of bitterness and anger, things that would cripple you, things that would tighten you up, osteoporosis. Don't you know that the Bible says that envy rots the bone, right? Envy rots the bone. That's what it says. I'm not making this up. Look it up. And so when we struggle with jealousy and envy, these are the ways it begins to physically manifest. So I'm saying all this to say because I need you to have an understanding why God stresses to us the importance of walking in the fullness of reconciliation. So the message this morning that we talked about was to love and to be loved. And in order to love and to be loved, I have to be walking in reconciliation in my ministry with God, in my ministry with myself first, notice I said that before others, and then my ministry with others. Because I will only love others to the same degree. If I'm not reconciled with myself, I can't have a healthy relationship with her because I'm too insecure. I struggle with rejection. I get defensive. I'm picking up offenses, and I can't love her unselfishly because I don't love myself enough. I'm not okay here. And i got to be okay here before I can be okay here. I said this this morning that religion and church has taught us that we grow closer to God by ministering to people, but it's actually the reverse. We actually grow closer to people through our ministry to God. Don't you know that in the Old Testament, the priests did nothing but minister to God in the temple? They didn't minister to people. He said, day and night, don't let the oil go out. Morning, afternoon, evening, don't let the oil go out. This is your job. It shall burn continually. This is what you're supposed to do. Don't let the oil go out. Don't let the oil go out. I love the idea of, of being astounded or being put out of your mind and how this isn't something necessarily that can be accomplished by the natural man or the natural mind. Now, I see we have a lot of children in the room tonight, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play with the kids a little bit tonight because we've encouraged um, family members to bring their kiddos. And here's why, because it's become a re- recent conviction of mine 
that we have become a culture filled with information but very little experience. And so what we've done is we're trying to raise our children up in the church by giving them a lot of information, by sitting them in Sunday schools, by putting uh, Sunday school books in front of them, by reading to them from the Bible, and none of those things are bad. Please don't hear what I am not saying, but what I am saying is it's very incomplete. And if all we're ever doing is coming to a place where we have information about the kingdom, but we have very little experience and we're very much missing out. I know I shared the other night that God had been revealing to me through the passage of John 8.32 where it says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you, cause you, deliver you into a place of liberty and freedom. Meaning, you can't help it. But that word know there doesn't actually mean I have a knowledge, but it's actually the recognition of having a personal experience. Meaning, I don't just have information about truth, but I have experienced truth. And the Lord was reminding me as I was sitting here of the story of um, when Jesus comes to the disciples and he asks this question. And I want the children to listen carefully to this question because he asks these questions and he says, who do men say that I am? And you'll hear people ask you that question for the rest of your life as you're growing up, even adults in the room, you'll hear people say, well, who is Jesus? Who is he? But this is what astounded me as I was reading this passage, that they began to give answers according to everything that everybody had told them about Jesus. See, what they said that was, some say John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And so you see that the disciples, even though they had been with Jesus, they were unable to necessarily give their own answer, but rather gave the answer that they had been fed, or they had been told, come on now. And so that's what we're doing with our kids, instead of giving them an opportunity to come and see who Jesus is of their own accord, we're simply feeding them information and saying, this is who Jesus is. And they can spit back that answer really well, but when it comes time for them to face opposition or when it comes time for them to do the work of the kingdom, they find themselves wondering, who am I, what do I believe, and why do I believe it? I see this every day in the counseling room. I counsel tons of adolescents. I go into the local high schools. God has opened the doors for us to go in as biblical counselors and counsel in many of the uh, school districts in our, in our county. And so we go into the school districts and we ask kids who have gone to church their whole life, and I say, who is Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? And they say things like, well, my parents have taught me this, or my Sunday school teacher has taught me that, or my friends say he's this, or my youth pastor says that. But when I say this, but what about you? Who has he been to you? And there's just this blank stare on their face. See, because they have a lot of information, but they have very little experience. They have very little experience. If I read into on, on in this passage, Simon Peter comes on and says, he says, Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? So you've just given me the answer of the world. You've given me the answer you've been fed. But I'm asking you, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter speaks up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And listen to how Jesus answered. And he said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed who I am to you. I'm going to say that again. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but it is my Father himself in heaven. See, we can't reveal spiritual things in natural ways. Only God can do that. Only God can cause a collision in the supernatural and the natural in a moment to where we're so wrecked, we don't know what has happened, but something's happened that can't be explained, and I can't necessarily give you information and knowledge 
become my truth. And when we walk through that and we come to a place where we have more than just knowledge, but we have a reality in our life, we have this understanding because God has, I've just not heard about God in this capacity, but I've walked with God and God has walked with me and I've experienced it for myself. Then I was thinking about in John, in the very beginning, when Jesus is walking and he's because he's God, he knows people are walking up from behind him. I love this. And so he's walking like this and knowing that there are people who are curious about who he is following behind him. Two disciples, he turns around and he says, what is it that you're seeking? And he asks this question, what is it that you want? And they said, we want to know you. We want to know who you are. We want to know where you're staying. We want to know you. Right? See, there was this hunger and this, this desire in the disciples trying to follow him, trying to get to know him, saying, we want to know you. And he said, come and stay with me. Come and abide with me. Last time we talked about the concept of abiding or remaining or tarrying in the presence of the Lord. And the Bible says that the disciples came and they spent the entire day with him. Let me read this to you. That they spent the day with him, and out of that place, out of their experience, out of their own experience, right? He didn't just say, let me sit down, let me tell you who I am. He said, come and spend the day with me. Come and experience me. Come and stay where I stay. Come and do what I do. I'm not going to just tell you who I am. See, I just told you all who I am, but you don't really know me. Because you haven't spent time with me. You don't know what I like. You don't know what makes me tick. You don't know what makes me cry. You don't know what makes me laugh. And you might say, oh, I met her and I know her, but you don't know me. And if we are honest with ourselves, many of us never get beyond that, even our own relationship with Christ. Oh, I know him. I know him. He died on the cross for my sins. He's the son of God. He's resurrected. Well, good for you. You've got a whole lot of information, but let me ask you this. Who is he to you? Who do you say that he am? He's a lover of my soul. He's my friend when I need a friend. He's my confidant. See, that's how I know my God. I don't have information about him. I know him. And he knows me. And nobody can teach me that. Nobody can teach me that. See, that's the conundrum that I have in coming to these meetings is we sit here and we want to be taught, we want to be fed, and God says, step aside and let me show them who I am. And that's what we're going to do. Pretty soon we're going to be, we're going to be moving these chairs out of the way, and God's going to show up, and he's going to introduce himself to you in a way that I never could. And at some point in these meetings, he tells me to shut up and move along. But they came to know him. He says, come and see. Now, I want you to remember this phrase. If you're a child in this room, if you're an adult in this room, I want you to remember this phrase. Every place in the scripture where somebody says, come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Who is this Jesus? Come and see him. Come and meet him. Come and meet the man who told me everything about myself. Come and see. An opportunity not telling you who Jesus is, but an invitation to experience him. Listen, we don't need to speak for God. You can't introduce God. You can't introduce God. I'm going to say that again. You can't introduce God. Because we serve a God who can only introduce himself. He can only introduce himself. And it says, 
They had spent the day with him, and it says one of the two who had heard John speak and followed him, Andrew and Simon Peter, he was he first found his own brother. See, he went, and he said, we have found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. Listen, I've just spent the day with Jesus, and I've been so overwhelmed by my experience. I need my brother and sister in Christ to come, and I'm going to bring them with me, and I can't tell you what happened. I can't tell you about this man. You've got to experience him for yourself. So there was this automatic outcome that came from this place, and he brought them to Jesus, and Jesus began to speak to him. And then the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to Philip, follow me. Philip began to follow him. He had an experience with Jesus. And Philip from Bethsaida went to Andrew Peter and found Nathaniel. Listen to what's happening here. There was an automatic, organic response that when I experience something, I want the world to know. See, why are we telling people about Jesus? Because we don't know him. We don't know him. So I think we do a great disservice in our, in our youth meetings and in our children's meetings when we wrap their arms around here and say, you have to go tell the world about Jesus because we're disciples and that's what disciples do. Because if we have to wrestle our children into doing it, we've done something all wrong. See, if they really knew Jesus, you wouldn't be able to stop them. Because a woman who was so ashamed that she wouldn't go to the well when anybody else was there, had an experience with a man, and that love compelled her to go and present herself to the entire town. You could not stop her. The disciples were threatened and said, they told him, you cannot speak of this man. And they said, we cannot stop, but speak of all that we have seen and we have heard. What has been whispered in our ear, we will shout it from the rooftops. If your children are organically compelled to go and tell the world, you might want to ask yourself, have they experienced him? And if they haven't experienced him, why haven't they experienced him? Tegan, do you know Jesus? Not sure. <laughs> have you experienced him? Yes. Tell me your experience that you've had with him. Well, you prayed over me. Okay. Tell yeah. me what happened. My hand started shaking like crazy. Yeah. How long did your hand shake? For, like, I'm not sure, a long time. Mom? <laughs> A couple of hours? Yeah. Sleep. <laughs> Till she went to sleep. So can somebody teach you that? Is that information? If somebody had just told you about that experience, would you kind of be like, hmm? Yeah. Yeah, you kind of not. Okay. So you had an experience with Jesus. So tell me how things have changed in your heart and your mind since you've had this experience. Well, I really know that Jesus loves me, and I really know that he wants me to follow him and help him. Okay. Bring people to him. Okay, so would you say that you've got a little bit different of a plan of action? Yeah. Yeah, because you have more than information, but you have experience. I promise you I have not seen these guys since the other night, and they were pretty induced when they left. <laughs> do you know Jesus? Yeah. Okay, how do you know him? Well, on Tuesday, he prayed over me. Okay, and what happened? Mm, I felt like I was with Jesus. Okay, and can you share a little bit more? Like, I had different visions about Jesus when I was being prayed over. So would you say that you know Jesus is real? Yeah. More than what you had learned, if anybody had told you? Yeah. Okay, because you have more than information, but you have... Um, I have evidence. I have evidence. <laughs> yeah, that works too. That works too. Yeah, you have your own personal experience. Do you recall speaking in tongues? 
-hmm. Yeah? Well, sort of. Yeah. So you also started started speaking in the tongue. When you came forward, what, were, what was one of the things that you said that you wanted? Uh, or that you felt like the Lord was doing in your life? I wanted healing hands. Healing hands? And what else? Mm -hmm. And to be able to speak in tongues. To be able to speak in tongues. Anything else? Okay, so would you say that God answered your prayers? Yeah. So tonight at some point, if you believe that God put healing in your hands, why do you think God put that in your hands? To heal people. To heal people? So are you game to use that gift tonight? So I want to just read this passage that the Lord's been having me read through. And it's a prayer that Paul is praying over um, the people in Ephesus. And he says that I'm praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend, which means to be able to seize or apprehend, to take hold of, to make it your own, that you may be able to comprehend with all the states. Now listen, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height? To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Now listen to me which passes knowledge. As if we're talking about a love or something that he's wanting us to be able to comprehend or seize or take hold of, yet it surpasses our knowledge or our intellect. And he says that, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Meaning the fullness of God comes from an understanding of this love that he wants us to seize or take hold of, yet can't be grasped with our knowledge. Listen, I can't make this up. And we're talking about something supernatural that Paul is praying in that we would know the depths and the height and the width and the length of something that is so supernatural it can't be comprehended with our mind or seized with our mind or seized with knowledge, yet in a supernatural sense, God is saying, I want you to be able to seize and for this love to be the fullness that dwells within you. And then he goes on to even go another, another step to say, now to him, meaning Christ, who is able to do everything that we just talked about, that fullness, right? That bigness, that fullness, that something, this love that surpasses my intellect, that surpasses my knowledge, yet he's saying, now to him who is actually even able to do exceedingly abundantly more than what I just talked about. Above all that we can even ask for, all that we can think, see, that's what she's telling you to do. She's saying, think above and beyond and exceedingly over everything that you can possibly come before and lay out before the Lord, granting our requests before the Lord. See, that's what he says to grant, pour out our hearts like water. Yet, there is not an amount of things that it can come before and ask my daddy for that can even begin to compare to what he wants to pour out upon me. Come on now. Listen, we think we're asking. But God says, ask me for more. Because you can't ask me because I'm a supernatural God. And everything that you can think to ask, I promise you I want to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can even think or imagine. Listen, I'm an imaginative person. I can imagine some pretty amazing things. But God is telling me that I cannot imagine him. And that the things that I have dreamt about in my wildest imaginations don't even begin to scratch the surface of all that God wants to do in us and through us. I'm not making this up. 
Sue, she talked about this abundance. We, we read the scripture over and over again in John 10, 10 that says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you would have life and you would have it, what? More abundantly. We don't even understand what that abundantly means. The best I can think is the abundance that's in my pantry or pot, perhaps in my children's drawers when they need to be cleaned out and they're overflowing. But God says that's the kind of abundance that I have a mind for each one of you. Here tonight, listen, he's not talking to the person on your right or your left. He's talking to you. And until we decide, I want to comprehend, take hold of, seize, apprehend, and make this my own, you will be missing out on the abundance of life. All the Old Testament was about God trying to move his people from a land of lack into a land of plenty trying to move his people. And I would like to propose to you today that we haven't changed much as a body of Christ. That we still serve a God that's trying to move his people from the land of lack into the land of plenty. Now please don't narrow yourself down to the connotation of thinking that I'm only talking about money. I'm not dismissing money. But if that's all you're thinking about, you're missing out. Because there's an abundance of life, an abundance of joy, an abundance of wisdom, an abundance of guidance and direction and light. There's an abundance of love. There's an abundance of relationship, connection and belonging, abundance of fellowship, an abundance of grace and of mercy, an abundance of faithfulness that God has in mind for us. And we have to decide tonight, I'm not leaving until I get more. So you have to decide, you have to decide like the woman with the issue of blood. If I touch the edge of his cloak, I know that 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 I will be healed because you can't touch the edge of something so supernatural and not feel the virtue of God flow into your presence. tells the Pharisees, if you claim to see, you'll remain blind. See, if we claim that we already have, we'll remain in lack. But if we allow the spirit of the living God to begin to stir up a hunger inside of us, and perhaps think that maybe little old me is worthy of something more. And God's going to rush into that place and he's going to fill you up in a place that I don't know where your need is. But I serve a God who does. And I don't know what your lack is, but I serve a God who does. And you may not even know what your need is, but you serve a God who does. See, he says, before you even speak a word, I know the thought in your mind. Before you come into today, I've already written it in a book. That's the beauty of serving a sovereign God. So we can walk about with confidence and with joy and with delight, knowing that there's a wide and spacious place that God has prepared for me so that my ankles will not turn. And I can skip and jump and rejoice and scale any wall that's placed in front of me. Listen, I'm just quoting scriptures to you. I'm not this smart. I can't make this stuff up. So the scriptures say, he says, they've given me arms that I can bend a bow of bronze. You know that bronze is unbendable. What he's saying is, I've given you arms to defy the natural. I've given you arms that you could do supernatural things. Because I'm, a God, I'm not a God of natural. I'm a God of supernatural. 
This is the kind of God we serve. And that's the kind of God who's gracing us with his presence tonight. He's here, and he's asking, what do you want? What seek ye? What is it that you want? We hear that question all throughout the scriptures. He asked Solomon, what do you want? He asked the disciples, what do you want? He asked the man who need healing, what is it that you seek? Granting your quest before the Lord. Pouring out your heart like water. Because you can't out-ask what he wants to give. You can't drain him of his resources. Because his resources are never-ending. You can't drain him dry. He never grows weary of our voice. He never gets weary of our time. He never puts us in the other room for time out. He never gets fed up. You can't out-ask an immeasurably supernatural being, and that is our God. And we're going to just press into that place, and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to resurrect your deepest need tonight. Because when you allow him, see what the scripture says, ask anything you want in my name and it shall be done unto you. It's when we step into his presence and we allow him to reveal what he already has in mind for us tonight. See, he's way out in front of us tonight. He already has in mind what he wants to pour out. He's already got it in his pocket. He's got something in his pocket for you and he's got something in his pocket for you and he's got something in his pocket for you and he's got something in his pocket for you and he's ready. See, he's not caught off guard. Some of you here tonight are like, I have no idea what to expect. But we don't serve a God like that. He's a God of great expectations. He knows exactly what to expect. And until we start expecting more of God, we're not going to see more of God. I'm expecting big things tonight. I'm expecting big things tonight because we've had the honor and the pleasure of seeing people get healed. This week, physical healings right in the presence of our eyes. We've seen people get delivered from depression. We've seen people get encouraged with hope. We've seen people have supernatural experiences. And I expect God for that. I expect God for that. So I shift us tonight, right now in the name of Jesus, from spectating to expecting. From spectating what other people are going to get and expecting that God showed up for me. Listen, if there was nobody else in this room but you tonight, God would be here. And he would pour out upon you too. And I know this because I meet with people one-on-one and he shows up just like he does in a group. Because he's just as concerned with you as he is with everybody in this room. I want us to engage with the presence of the Lord. Like, this is not my meeting. And honestly, this is y'all's meeting. This is God's meeting. And uh, I want us to get enamored and kind of settle into that pocket. If we could just, like, a pocket of God's love and abide in that place. I think this is really important. This is really important. Because I need you to know, like, when people are like, hey, how do you minister like that? Or how does that happen? I don't know. I don't know. But I, I I believe God for it, and it comes out of... I talked to somebody today, and I'm like, the, the best and the fastest way to stir up the anointing on your life is to press into the glory. And that's the pocket, the pocket, the pocket, the womb of God. And saturate yourself in His love. So 
I want us to just practice that for the next couple of minutes of just practicing and settling into the pocket of his love and just letting him consume you with that love. So whatever that means, like if you're like, forget this chair, I need to lay on the floor, then forget the chair. Like seriously, like we're free in here, right? We are free in here to lay on the floor, to lay out, to try something new. Like if you want to experience God in a new way, be willing to try something new. You know, I mean, everybody knows if you keep doing something, like if you're feeling like my relationship with the Lord is stale right now, then try something new. Engage with him in a way that's new. If you felt like your relationship with your spouse was stale, you would try something new. You would be like, hey, can we go on a date? Can we try this new restaurant? I'm tired of salmon. I want to go for some beef, right? So if you want to try some beef and get some beef with the Lord, I have an audio on there that's called I Am Revival, and the whole thing, I mean, the spirit work came out. It's like, I'm going to give you some yummy, and I'm like jumping up and down the tail. It's like, I'm going to give you some yummy because when you taste and see that the Lord is good, it's just like when you go to a new restaurant and you taste and see some really good orders or food that they have, the first thing you do is you go and tell everybody. And if you don't feel compelled to go and tell everybody, it's because you haven't tasted the yummy of God. So my desire this time is that we all get some And so if you haven't tasted him in a new way, you have to be willing to engage with him in a new way. Draw me deeper, draw me deeper. Pull me in.
I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to click subscribe so you can catch each episode every month. I want you to walk in your fullness. For more information about other services and resources, head to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. You can also find me on YouTube by searching Lisa Schwartz LLC. I look forward to connecting with you. Remember, enforcing purpose, it starts with you.